Hi, I'm Seth Roseman. I'm Jonathan Fuller. And welcome to No Experts Allowed, where we try to make the Bible less scary, more approachable, and a more consistent means of connecting with the divine. Each week, Seth and I alternate between two roles. The non-expert takes a look at a specific Bible story and prepares for a conversation about it centered around two questions. What's the story and what's the point? Meanwhile, the storyteller joins in the conversation, reacting to the story as they hear it. Because the so-called experts aren't the only ones who can make meaning and sense of the Bible as we read it together. So if you're new to or exploring Christian faith, if you've been to seminary like us, if you want to know more about the Bible but don't want to hear another sermon, or if you're anywhere in between, this podcast is for you. Join us and let's tell a good story today. Jonathan, how are you doing today? I'll tell you what, Seth, I'm doing pretty well. I'm sitting here in my rocking chair in my comfy robe. And I'm feeling pretty good, ready to chat. How are you doing? I'm, I'm great. I'm not dressed as comfortably. I mean, I just have a t-shirt on, but it's not as comfortable as a robe. I mean, that's your own problem, man. I highly recommend yeah. the robe. It'll be really good in the winter. It will be, yes. Before we start, I have a question for you. Okay, I think I'm ready for it. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to know the what would you do in this particular situation question that I'm going to ask you ahead of time, or would you want to be surprised each week like we've been doing? (laughs) I think maybe it's just because of my disdain for change generally. I think I would like to keep being surprised. Um, I also think it is kind of with the spirit of our show and of uh, like reacting to things in the moment as they're happening, just like we are to the scripture passage if we are the storyteller. Uh, but yeah, I think I think I like the way we're doing it. I don't know. I f- I'm an overthinker about some things, so I feel like if I saw the questions in advance and they were really complicated, like about chicken sandwiches or. Uh, I don't know. I can't even remember some of the other ones that we did. Being a bank teller. I just don't know that I'd... I think I'd spend too much time thinking about them. You know, I think I'm with you. I like just doing it off the cuff. You just, you gotta you gotta think through all of the possible options as fast as you can and commit. Yeah. The one, the one thing that makes me think or maybe I'd like them ahead of time is I could sketch out the definitive answer sure for me i feel like if we disagreed more i'd want to know them in advance for that same reason so we could like really get into it (laughs) but we're so often on the same page it feels like and even when we disagree neither of us actually care that much to like (laughs) really argue or just derail the whole show and deride the other person with mockery and it's just not worth it it's low stakes and i appreciate that and I don't really want it to get any other way. Unless you say something stupid, and then I will fight you. I think that question was kind of related this week. So with that, will you read our scripture for us? Sure. Glad to. This is Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 7 from The Message. 
The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Well, another great passage from the Sermon on the Mount, Seth. What led you to choose the message for our text again this week? The passages that I love from the message are always the ones that I know particularly well from another version. So I was trying to think of something that could make the Lord's Prayer just sound a little different to get us out of our comfort zone so people were paying attention. And I thought, oh man, like the Lord's Prayer is so rich, but it's probably one of the best known passages. How can I, how can I try and get us to hear it a little bit differently? And I thought, well, that's, those are the texts that I think Eugene Peterson's message shines, the ones that people know really well. He like tends to do something that's maybe a little bit funky, but that was just what I wanted, something that would get people listening. So that, that's why I chose it for today. Wanted to, wanted to jar us a little bit, maybe, and get us out of our comfort zone. With that, is there anything that you thought was, was jarring? Hmm. My assumption is that you have some experience with this text. Yeah, sure. I, so I actually loved the way that the first couple of verses, kind of the stuff before the prayer was worded. I thought that was really simple. It was really direct. I just really liked it. That was just a general thing. I don't have anything specific. I just liked how the, the, the passage started off. With the prayer itself, though... I, I got the parallels between the lines of you know what we're familiar with in the Lord's Prayer and what's written here from the message. The one that kind of irked me a little bit was the keep us alive with three square meals. <laughs> because like that is very much a modern concept. <laughs> like totally modern concept that feels kind of out of place. I mean it makes sense like in terms of translating give us this day our daily bread. That's a pretty similar request, but it just felt a little out of place here. I I really appreciated, though, the end of the prayer, uh, because translating the phrase that I, I take, typically have known as, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, to these statements of about God, which I, I thought it was like, oh, that's such a unique way to do it, but saying yours is the kingdom... It's pretty similar to saying, you're in charge. 
Yours is the power. You can do anything you want. And the glory forever being a blaze in beauty. Like, I, I really connected with that as a way to end the prayer in a way that kind of takes that older language that I'm more accustomed to and helps me see it a little different, differently. I didn't love yes, yes, yes at the end of the prayer. Yes. Um, I feel the same way. <laughs> but, but I thought that some of those choices there, and the, even the way it's structured, it feels, again, kind of as you hoped, like it was bringing it to life in a new way. I really like, you talked about this just a little bit, the you're in charge. I think that the the kingdom language can sometimes be problematic. Mm. But I, I like you're in charge. I feel like that gets around some of it. Like, I don't really want to be part of someone's kingdom. Like, I think of that being, like, oppressive, like, colonial. Like, participating in colonialism is maybe a better way to put it. But you're in charge. I wonder, I wonder if that is kind of getting more to the heart of it. Yeah. Like, it's about someone's allegiance and, and the power that God has. I think that that's really helpful to me. As I'm thinking about it, the line, you can do anything you want. Um, I'm only hearing that read in a, like, annoying John Mulaney voice. Like, you can do anything you want. <laughs> and... and, and Maybe I just ruined that for me and you and everybody who listens to this. But it does feel a little bit different than the others. But I, I appreciate the the sentiment behind it in keeping the prayer as focused on these realities in the closing. Um, these realities. Because the rest of it is framed in language that makes it more like a request than I think the rote memory language of the Lord's Prayer that we might recite in worship feels like saying, set the world right and do what's best as above, so below. That that explicitly to me feels more like a request than thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Also, why are we still using Victorian pronouns? I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. As an aside, it's interesting the way that this text has remained in its liturgical setting, like, untouched. Mm -hmm. Like, like, we'll change what Bible version we use in church, but we we won't change the these and the thighs in the Lord's Prayer. Like, that's fascinating to me. One of the things that I also appreciated about the message is the line... With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. I love the use of like this. I wonder sometimes, maybe maybe I'm getting into what's the point too soon. I wonder sometimes if we use the Lord's Prayer much more often than the gospel writers intended us to. Like, if it was not supposed to be a model, and we went, okay, we'll use it every single week, and we'll use it every day, and we'll put it in our prayers, and we'll, sure. we'll stick it everywhere <laughs> we can. And we'll, like, well, like, yeah, it's like, um, I almost feel like a, the example that's coming to mind is thinking about some modern office 
that sends out a template for how they want certain projects to look. But then someone just like every time they do a project, they only submit what was literally on the template. So is the prayer yeah. literally what we're supposed to pray? Or is it the basis to give us instruction on what our prayer should be like? And I, I, I'm with you. I think the framing of that and the language here in the message just presents it in such a, it's, it's a much more open experience too. It's like this, it, you just have to pray like this. You don't have to say the same things, but those, the structure and even not the structure, but the types of things you're asking for slash reminding yourself of, those don't have to come in the same package every time. And you can make requests and you can praise God, right? There's kind of like a wide variety of things that are in this prayer, Mm -hmm. which I think is helpful too. It's not this like, okay, first you're going to do step one and step two and step three. How many sermons have you heard on this passage that provide a step-by-step breakdown of how to pray? (laughs) A lot. I can... Yeah, I can think of a couple, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which is, it's like, what it, even is this? Yeah. Which, at least the way Eugene Peterson translates it, right? These prayer warriors are the ones who are full of formulas and programs and advice and peddling techniques for getting what you want. And then what do we do in our sermons? We're like, okay, step one, do this and yeah. this and this and this. And it's and like... Of course, there's room for, practically, you want to learn how to pray. Uh, But I think what we fall into with this passage, by even by having this prayer just as a model, even if it's not the exact prayer we pray all the time, but it limits our prayers to our spoken or thought words and not to other expressions of, you know, proclaiming the goodness of the divine in our art or in our conversation or in our silence. Uh, so I think I think there's room for teaching folks how to pray, especially if they don't know what to do. But I think part of what the challenge that's being identified here is there's folks that claim they know that are really just trying to teach you how to pray like them. And don't get me started on praying to get what you want from God. I feel like that's a tangent we probably don't want to go down unless that's something you were thinking of as well. Um, but... I do not think God is a vending machine and that uh, prayers are the loose change that you put in to push the buttons and get the things that you want. I like that. I like that analogy. No, you're not supposed to like it, Seth. Well, I... <laughs> I know what you mean. I, I'm sorry. I think it's a good way to think about that, that transactional God. Okay, important clarification. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing that's fascinating about this is the that last part, the what's sometimes called the doxology, doesn't always appear in the Bible in this Matthew text. In some older manuscripts it's there, and in some of them it's not. So scholars do what's called text-critical work, um, which determines kind of what's authentic to a text and what maybe gets added later and what gets changed over time. And from my reading, most scholars say that that's probably a later edition, mm. um, but Eugene Peterson translates it here. Um, I think probably because that's kind of what's in most people's head when they think about the Lord's Prayer, and it does certainly appear in some of the older manuscripts. 
But with that said, if people look this passage up in their Bible and they don't see that, right? I don't want them to be like, why? Why is that? My Bible's different than this. That's a fun Bible fact. So, Seth, what do you think the point of this text is? One of the things that fascinates me about this passage is at the very end, you can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. One of the fascinating things about it is that it puts the fault on the person who needs to do the forgiving, right? Not the person who did the wrong in the first place. Hmm. And I honestly don't really know what to make of that. Here we have, I think, another kind of tough position we're in. And frankly, it's a little scary to me that if I'm not forgiving, God's not going to forgive me. For me, my way around it is to say something like, well, this is just polemical. Like, this is just hyperbolic. Jesus is making a point in his teaching, which I think is what most people have done historically with this text. Yeah, well, I think even in the messages rendering here in this first part of verse 14, in prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. See, I like that if, line. If you're, well, if, even if you're More. connecting it. <laughs> but if you're connecting it to this idea about forgiveness, like, of course, I want to be mindful of folks who have, you know, experienced trauma or violence, especially for whom forgiveness is not a reasonable course of action right now or ever. And I think we're we're more comfortable in that ambiguity than this text is. I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm just thinking about prayer being an experience that, again, to not get into this too much, but isn't about getting what we want from God. It's about aligning ourselves with the work of the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to work in us and through us, and allowing us to have our eyes opened to where the divine is at work all around us too. And so where forgiveness and restoration is part of the work of the divine, that can still be part of us too. And though forgiveness is identified explicitly here, I feel like it is a connection to the character of God more broadly. Like if you if you are not open to the ways that God works in the world, then those ways may not be open to you. Because we, we see the witness of other parts of scripture, I think, runs counter to this theme that you've identified in the Sermon of the Mount before, of this standard of perfection, this command that Jesus offers to be perfect as God is perfect. It even runs counter to the witness of the Gospels when the disciples, the women and men who are following Jesus, don't get it right all the time. And, and so you have this, this dissonance between these commands, these ideas that are so clear-cut, and the lived experience of the people, even those who are following Jesus in the flesh. That dissonance that tells a slightly different story. I don't know, I'm thinking too of the parable of, uh, you know, the, the person who is forgiven by the, the person who owns the land that they work on, a debt that they could have never paid off in their lifetime, and then they turn around and threaten the person that <laughs> owes them like a few bucks, like the equivalent of a few bucks. And again, 
being mindful of certain situations, especially related to trauma and violence, that forgiveness is not appropriate. Thinking about how the experience of the divine life, the experience in the community of faith changes us. It is intended to be something that changes us wholly, with a W, uh, entire, changes us entirely to be more aligned with the character of the God to whom this prayer is addressed. We've spent a lot of time talking about the actual translation of this, and I wonder if that's what Eugene Peterson is trying to get at when he says you can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. Like, I wonder if the for instance isn't him trying to smooth that over a little bit. Like, this is an example of one way. Right. That there's a connection between what God does and what you do. Which I think is helpful. Because, I, like I said, I like that first part. In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. I think, I think that, that's well said, and I like the order. But then when I get to the next sentence, you can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. And now I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, I think that, that God's gifts and grace to us always come first, like you were talking about. And it's from there that, that we're empowered to forgive others, that we can model yeah. for others with the help of the Spirit. For me, one of the things that's challenging about that line is just the order of it. Mm. So it would and feel I, better if it said you can't you can't forgive others without receiving forgiveness from God. Nailed it. Mm. Yeah. Well. Well, this is this is though what I'm what I'm connecting with. So going back to the first part of the passage, the critique of the so-called prayer warriors is that they're full of all these things for getting what you want from God. And this prayer, both the content of the prayer and these lines that we're kind of diving into a little more deeply here at the end, what they seem to be getting at are a counter to the idea that prayer is about getting what you want from God, or at least just getting what you want from God, but are instead this invitation into the divine life that allows us to experience connection, not only between what God does and what we do, but also between us as a community, among us as a community, I should say, and between us and the community and God. And that invitation into that connection makes this kind of transformation a marker of that true connection and invitation rather than some sort of transactional model that just before this, Jesus seems to be critiquing. But I think that, I think that you're right, that this, the prayer itself and these kind of explanatory verses after are just that, a critique of of this of this personal transaction one of the things that this prayer models is the communal aspect of prayer like it, it prays for and on behalf of a community and i think that that's against this idea that we keep talking about where it's like a personal transaction where we each get what we each want 
This is like somehow a lot bigger than just me, I think, in Jesus' prayer. I have this dumb book. Let me see if I can find it. I don't know if I have it. Yeah, I do. Let me, wait, this is the dumbest book. It's called The Prayer of Jabez. Oh, no. <laughs> do you know this prayer? I do know the prayer because my brother and I often mockingly, sh like, say s stuff about enlarging my territory. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I don't even remember what the prayer is. I remember reading it. It's something that, like, you know how people have framed copies of the, um, like, yeah. as for me in my house. Yeah. There's, like, framed, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord kind of things. Those framed artwork pieces. I've seen these in, like, Christian small business offices. It's, like, this prayer that's been hijacked by, by capitalism to... Uh, support like unfettered access to the free market or something like that i don't know <laughs> wait okay here here's the prayer oh that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory <laughs> that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil that's the whole prayer and it's it's really just about I tried to emphasize it, but it's really just about me. Yeah. Like this is this is the this is junk. Yeah, like, and this is the opposite of the Lord's Prayer, right? I know. I was just to say, contrasting that with the language that you were identifying, that first person plural, the we and us that are here, keep us alive with three square meals, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. And thinking about, again, not only the narrative expression of Jesus to a crowd of people, but also the intention of Matthew's audience to like be encouraging to a community, there might be an instance where the community needs to offer forgiveness to a member of the community or someone beyond the community. That expression is not just saying like, hey, you forget and forget everything that's ever been done to you, even the things that are horrible and painful for for which the perpetrators have suffered no consequences, but instead thinking about a community that is suffering in some way together and is and Jesus is giving them the opportunity through this prayer, slash the author of Matthew is giving them the opportunity through this instruction to connect their expression of forgiveness to God's expression of forgiveness to them. And so, again, rather than considering this as a one rule for all people at all times, thinking about the broader emphasis here of the connection in prayer between what God does and what we do, rather than the specifics of forgiveness, might be a little more helpful. I'm embarrassed when I have that book on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> now that I made fun of it, I should get rid of it, I guess. No, I don't think so. I think you need those books on your shelf for those reference moments, right? We've talked so much about prayer that I think it's time to pray. Yeah, I think that sounds like a good idea. And although there's lots of different types of prayers and all of them are helpful and each has a different use and some, are, some work better for particular people at particular times, the traditional Lord's Prayer has been so helpful 
traditionally for so many people. And I thought we would just pray that together. So Jonathan, will you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer? I'd love to. Our, Our Father, Father in heaven, heaven hallowed, hallowed be, be your, your name. Your, your kingdom, kingdom come, your will, your will be, be done, done on, earth on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story are we talking about next week? We are going to stay in the Gospel of Matthew and look at the story in chapter 19, verses 23 through 30. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.